broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Hello, my friends. Welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. We present the unvarnished truth about the drug war. My name is Dean Becker, and our guest for this edition is running for governor in the state of Connecticut on the Libertarian Party. And I'm proud to welcome once again our good friend, Mr. Cliff Thornton. Dean, thanks for having me. And it's the Green Party, not the Libertarian Party. Well, and I thank you for that, sir. I'll, I'll make note of that. Uh, yes, Cliff, it's, uh, you know, you've heard the phrase, I guess it's become an old phrase by now, don't criticize the media, become the media. And in that same regard, uh, rather than criticize the politicians, you have uh, decided to give them a better example and and to run for a political office. That is correct, Dean. And to date... Um Things have been going very well. The media, for the most part, have been uh, very positive uh, with the articles in the newspaper and the TV and uh, interviews that have been done thus far. They have uh, really said that it's it's time for someone to come up and challenge the politicians that are running for office about this particular drug war. Today, I participated in a press conference at the state capitol that was looking at the 1500 uh, feet rule for uh, people dealing drugs in and around schools, uh, hospitals, and uh, housing projects. And it looks pretty positive that the, the bill uh, defeating that law looks like it's going to change. And, and that's part of the problem, isn't it? Maybe some of these laws were crafted with good intentions, but like uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. And and so many of our, our children, truthfully, uh, once you reach 17, uh, they, they consider you an adult, and uh, you make a small mistake uh, within that school zone, and you're in deep trouble. That is correct. You, it, it's When you look at sexual harassment, it, it boils down to intent versus impact. For instance, if I have a, um, a, a picture of a naked woman in, my, in the workplace in my cubicle and, and uh, a woman comes in and, and looks at it and she's offended, the uh, intent is on my behalf not to offend one, anyone. However, the impact on that, partic that particular woman that came in was uh, drastically different. When you look at the drug war and you look at the intent of the 1500 rule, it is to protect the children. However, when you look at the studies conducted in and around this rule, we see well over 90% of the adults that deal drugs deal them to adults, not children. So, in fact, this law is unworkable, and it spurs mandatory minimum drug charges. So I think it's time to not only get rid of that particular law, but also mandatory minimums. And, and Cliff, it's, uh, it is this policy of prohibition that creates the vast majority, if not all, 
of the problems that are supposed drug-related. And uh, your thoughts on that, sir? I mean, there is a better way. There, there are other ways to... Uh, make changes that that would ease this problem. Uh, the, the city of Hartford, there in Connecticut, where you live, last October I came up for a, a conference, and they've now released a uh, white paper. Uh, mm -hmm. Their findings uh, from this gathering of uh, stuffed shirts, if you will, DEA, the mayor, uh, the district attorney, lots of good folks, mm -hmm. kicked the idea around pretty good. Your, your thoughts on that white paper? Well, the, the white paper was released about maybe four, three weeks ago now, and the white paper said in the summary basically everything that uh, we have been saying, that the drug war is unwinnable, the drug war is racially biased, the programs uh, put in for um, uh, drug education like D.A.R.E. were virtually ineffective, uh, the crime and punishment for these drugs did not equal the punishment. And the people that attended these conferences that filled out these questionnaires were, 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 were very uh, upfront about it. Uh, many of the people that filled out the questionnaires were calling for outright legalization. And, and Go ahead. However, um, <clears throat> the white paper uh, said in, 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 in summary that uh, medical marijuana really is a no-brainer. We should have it yesterday. We should uh, look at and uh, really push for the outright legalization of cannabis with uh, 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 taxing and regulating it and utilizing those funds for the uh, rebuilding of uh, the damage caused by the, the drug war. So uh, the white paper that released by the city of Hartford uh, is, is very encouraging. Uh, the next step is is to see if some of these things could be passed. They also call for heroin maintenance. They also call to make um, cannabis uh, one of the lowest priorities in the police department. And and that's the the point once again. I think that the city of Seattle has done something uh, quite similar through their King County Bar Association and a, and another group of stuffed shirts. And uh, as our good friend uh, Judge James P. Gray says, that all that is necessary to change this policy is to begin the discussion. Right. And, right. Go ahead, sir. And and you know, Dean, you know, doing this drug policy work for the past five six years and traveling all over the world. And understanding that if we're really going to make a difference, we have to bring this particular issue center stage. And it is a natural progression for drug policy reformers, those that wish to do this, to go into the political arena. The Green Party had been courting me for the past two or three years to do this. And finally, I relented and agreed to run for governor. And like I said, the response has been very positive. But I have to be realistic. I have to, first of all, get to those people, the tens of thousands of people in this state that think they can't make a difference. I have to try and empower them and make them vote and show them that they have a voice that is really willing to touch the issues. Well, during a TV interview last week, uh, a state a state uh, interview that uh, you know they aired all over the state, the <clears throat> announcer that was interviewing me said point blank that this is a, it's about time that we're going to make 
these politicians really talk about the issue. Now, I know for a fact that they're going to try to exclude me from all of the debates, but I will not be denied. I will make so much noise that they're going to have to listen to me. So I feel very encouraged, first of all, with the response that I've gotten so far from the media, and secondly, the response that I've got from the people, the populace that I've talked to. So I think I, I think the Green Party has a very good chance of uh, becoming a spoiler in, in this race for governor in Connecticut. You know, Cliff, I'm uh, looking at the white paper online here. And by the way, if folks want to learn more about it, they can go to our website, which is drugtruth.net. There on the left side, it uh, shows who's our guest today, which uh, is, of course, uh, Mr. Cliff Thornton. And uh, it... It has a link there to the uh, the white page from the city of Hartford. And, and again, looking at this white paper, uh, it shows the cost to uh, the state of Connecticut. It's it's an enormous amount. You, you want to talk about the money that could be better spent uh, on treatment or health or insurance for our kids, well, things like that? <clears throat> Let, let's just try and, and get a perspective here. Now, when you, when you look at Connecticut, Connecticut has a population of uh, 3.4 million people. About like Houston, Texas. Right, the, the size of Houston, Texas, let's say. Now, when you look at the minority population, the males in this state, black and Latino males make up less than 6% of the population, but account for almost 70% of the, of the prison population, some 22,000, and with almost 70% of them being there for drug-related charges. Now, when you consider this, that in the <clears throat> late 80s, early 90s, Connecticut spent a billion dollars on prisons alone. That particular, that, that sizable sum could have been allocated, let's say, to education within the state, which is, is, is definitely needed. So, we, what we're looking about, and any time we start talking about dismantling the drug war and legalizing drugs, we are actually talking about a redistribution of wealth. And when you start talking about redistribution of wealth, that gets everybody up in arms. So we're going to look at this in a very critical eye, and hopefully that people will start to get the message and understand that we've got to end this drug war. And see, the thing that I'm trying to tell the people in the state of Connecticut, <clears throat> they're always saying that, Okay, you can't legalize drugs at a state level, but you can legalize drugs at a state level. Then it becomes uh, up to the feds whether or not they're going to enforce those laws. And I think it's time to push the federal government to put up and have the, have the state make the initial move. After all, it has been said over and over again that the states are the laboratories of democracy. Exactly, and and uh, we we've just walked away from that. Uh, what has been the norm? What has been our our, our history over the years? Uh, Cliff, the uh, the students for sensible drug policy have a lawsuit against the government. A couple of them, as I understand it, and they're. Uh, trying to take away the double jeopardy because uh, a youngster caught with pot and he, he gets a, a jail sentence or a fine perhaps and then he loses his right to uh, get a federal loan and might get kicked out of school etc they see it as a double jeopardy and yet we have 
hundreds of uh, ways that people get double jeopardy because of this drug war. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about some of those? Well, when you talk about double jeopardy, especially within the black and Latino community, just consider this thing. An individual of 18 and above is a potential taxpayer. If that individual is arrested on drug charges, we literally take a potential taxpayer out of the community and put them in prison and pay taxes on them. That is also double jeopardy. Uh, not to mention what the individual is going to have to face with the felony tacked onto him for life uh, as far as getting a job, getting a, a checking account, finding employment. So after after a period of over 35 years in a particular community, it starts to have a strong economic uh, impact. The tax base is slowly but surely being eroded. So therefore, it makes the community much poorer. And we can't continue to do this because somewhere down the road, we're going to have to pay for it. And now it's this, that situation is coming to bear, especially within the inner cities and especially within Connecticut. You know, Cliff, uh, you and your wife uh, do tour the nation and, in fact, the world, uh, speaking for peace, for uh, understanding, and for uh, efficacy. That is your, your organization, efficacy-online.org. Uh, where else might uh, folks learn uh, about your candidacy? Well, they they can go to www.votethornton.com and they can pick up some of the issues that I'm favoring. Now, <clears throat> it was and it's interesting that you bring that up in that some people were saying, well, this is a single issue candidate, and I'm telling them that I'm not. Because when you start to look at the drug war, it is connected to almost everything. Even, in many respects, campaign finance reforms. Because, let's be realistic, that underground money that is made through the sale and distribution of these illegal drugs finds its way back to the coffers of people running for office, which guarantees that they remain tough on drugs. So... When I start explaining all of this to the public and they become more educated around the issue, and that's what's happening, they're starting to realize and come on board uh, about ending the drug war. So the, the drug war is two degrees from everything in society, and that's what I'm purporting. I, you know, I'm also for... Um, um, gay rights. I'm also for. I'm also against the death penalty. I'm also uh, for campaign finance reform and a lot of other issues that are pertinent to the voters. So, drug policy is a central issue for me. However, there are other issues that I cover during the campaign. Well, uh, Cliff, if we could stop frittering away the billions each year uh, on this drug war, you'd have money left over for potholes and for school lunches and uh, for taking care of the community. That is correct. Uh, but at this particular juncture, the, 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 my, my key goal is to get them to talk about this particular issue. And they, they are not going to take me seriously 
until I get the allotted number of signatures to get on the ballot, which we don't see as a problem whatsoever. It's only 7,500 signatures, and we've pretty much got that already. But we want to get about 10,000, so there won't be any type of discrepancies. Well, you know, they say this drug war is for the children. And again, I, I referenced that 17 suddenly they're they're meat for the grinder and uh you know it's it's one thing to protect the 16 year olds and under but why do we persecute demonize and, and basically destroy the lives of our youngsters uh for you know pockets full of plant products well dean i i think and you know, but we have to uh, articulate this to the populace, it's a misguided policy. There are really some people who honestly believe that we can stop people from using drugs by using these the draconian uh, methods. However, when you look at the history of the drug war and the history of, of drug prohibition, you come to the conclusion that it is utterly impossible. What we have to do is convince those people that this is such. It's going to take a yeoman-type effort to do this, but it is well underway. You can see, like you were talking about, SSDP and filing the suit and them winning partially on that SSDP suit against the Higher Education Act. And they have uh, filed another suit to make it even stronger. So I have tremendous faith and the youth in this country that is going to eventually overturn these drug wars. But the thing that, another thing that we have to strongly consider is that once we bring these drugs inside of the law, we have to understand that this underground economy that was created by drug prohibition has to be replaced. And we have to garner the taxes from the sale and distribution of, of uh, cannabis uh, and return those uh, monies into the uh, poorest areas hit by this drug war for the purpose of rebuilding the infrastructure, uh, revamping our public education system, revamping our health system, looking at how we can create jobs and put, put people back to, back to work and really look at how we're going to proceed for the next 10 to 20 years. Well, I tell you what, Cliff, we're, we're just about out of time. I want to thank you for joining us on this edition of uh, Cultural Baggage. I, I look forward to our next encounter, and I wish you the very best of luck with your efforts uh, to uh, gain the governorship the state of Connecticut. Dean, you are a true warrior, and I respect you the utmost. Well, and I, and I, with that, Cliff, I thank you, sir, and, and you do take care. Have a great evening. It's time to play Name That Drug by its side effects. Severe depression, cancer of the breast, stroke, dementia, blood clots in the lung, prolonged bleeding, high blood pressure, heart attacks, and congestive heart failure. Time's up. The answer, PrimPro, a combination hormone replacement approved by the FDA. And now, another black perspective on the drug war. Thanks to Dean Becker and other fearless drug truth broadcasters, people are beginning to see what a complete fraud, total waste, and absolute failure the drug war has been. Billions of our tax dollars thrown down a rat hole called prohibition. But I've been told by some that if it keeps even one child away from drugs, it's worth it. But has it? 
When I was going to school, smoking in the boys' room was something to sing about. Our schools have been a major focus of the drug war efforts. With the benefit of drug awareness programs like DARE, zero-tolerance rules, drug testing, and locker searches, high schools should now be drug-free havens for our children. My daughter Jennifer is about to graduate from a high school in suburban Houston. So I asked Jennifer if her drug awareness classes have helped prepare her for the world. You know, like if you're learning Spanish, you can learn from the textbook all you want, but when you go out there, nobody talks that way. Well, it's the same thing with the drug program. But surely the drug war crackdown must keep the drugs off the campus at least. In health class, they ask, our teacher asks us, how many of you could, if I asked you to bring me some pop by the end of the day, how many of you could do it? And pretty much everyone raised their hand. And then he progressed to more hardcore drugs, how many could bring me ecstasy by the end of the day? And the same amount of people raised their hand. And then he got even worse over, said how many could bring me cocaine by the end of the day? And more than half the class said they could bring him cocaine by the end of the day. Oh well, I guess that's just another failure for the drug war. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Philip and Jennifer Jackson. Thank you, Philip, for that excellent report. There is no official government truth this week, so I brought you a little clip from a D.A.R.E. officer. He's showing an unloaded Glock 40 to a group of elementary school kids. Okay, I'm the only one in this room professional enough that I know of to carry this Glock 40. I'm the only one Fortunately, the cop was the only person wounded. Uh, you know, dare, dare. It's it's doing a fine job, isn't it? Poppygate. Bizarre news about the U.S. policy on controlling heroin, featuring Glenn Greenway. Five years ago, just prior to the U.S. invasion, Afghanistan's annual opium yield was 185 tons, skyrocketing to more than 4,000 tons in each of the last two years. Putting this phenomenal growth in perspective, if Afghanistan's drug industry in 2000-2001 was room temperature, it's now glowing white hot, illegally fueling the engine of Afghan economy and scorching international drug control strategies by cynically providing nearly all of the world's black market heroin. In Washington this week, the U.S. State Department unveiled a new public relations plan aimed at convincing Americans that Afghanistan has an effective anti-drug strategy. At a press conference this week, U.S. General Benjamin Freakley, commander of Joint Task Force 76 in Afghanistan, reconfirmed America's dirty little not-so-secret secret, quote, As you know, we do not conduct counter-narcotics operations, end quote. The Bible informs us that to everything there is a season. There may be a time for a war on drugs, and there may be a time for a war by drugs. But there can hardly be a time for both simultaneously. It is neither legal nor moral for the White House to depend on selling us drugs which are illegal for us to buy. This is Glenn Greenway reporting for the Drug Truth Network. Sisyphus was a figure in Greek mythology. He was condemned to spend eternity rolling a heavy boulder up a hill, yet he could never reach the top. The boulder would eventually roll back down, crushing him, after which he would recover and start the process again. Either drug warriors have never heard of Sisyphus, or they just don't get it. 
The U.S. State Department reported earlier this month that cocaine production in South America is expanding. Peru and Bolivia have seen remarkable increases in the past few years. Years ago, those two nations had been the world's leading producers. The U.S. for quite some time has been focusing its anti-cocaine efforts on Colombia, currently the world's top coca producer. The Economist magazine reports that the replanting of coca now pretty much matches the rate of eradication. In addition, growers are using higher-yielding plants and cultivating in new areas, including national parkland where eradication has to be done by hand rather than through aerial spraying of herbicides. Meanwhile, Bolivia's new president, Evo Morales, who is also the leader of Bolivia's coca farmers, is promoting an alternative. He and a growing number of others feel the best approach would be to give coca farmers a legal market. Tea, wine, chewing gum, and a variety of other products made with the unprocessed coca leaf would give indigenous, impoverished Bolivians and others in the coca economy a legitimate income. Such products would consume much of the now illicit coca crop, crushing the cocaine industry overnight. Our present course means continued failure. Unlike Sisyphus, we have a choice. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. This is Phil Smith of the Drug War Chronicle with this week's Krupp Cup stories for the Drug Truth Network. This week we've got two stories, one in Baltimore, one in Memphis. In Baltimore, two police officers are on trial this week on a federal corruption charge. Officers Antonio Murray, age 36, and William King, age 35, face a 33-count indictment charging them with conspiracy to steal cocaine, heroin, marijuana, and cash from drug suspects. Their civilian cohort, Antonio Mosby, who served as their lookout in Snitch, has already pleaded guilty and agreed to, to testify against them. After getting a tip that King was shaking down drug suspects, federal investigators wiretapped Murray's and King's cell phones and then tracked the pair as they rounded up suspects and threatened to hurt or arrest them if they didn't cough up the goodies, according to the indictment. Each could be sentenced to life in prison if convicted on the most serious charges. Trials expected to last another couple of weeks. Meanwhile, in Memphis, a former police officer pleaded guilty last Friday to breaking into a hotel room last year and stealing $12,000 he thought belonged to a drug dealer. Former officer Patrick Joint, age 36, and his civilian partner in crime, Donald Lem, age 33, were actually the victims of a sting. According to the indictment, Joint met with a snitch last August to discuss the ripoff. Government agents planned the money in the hotel room, and Joint and Lem went for the bait. The pair will be sentenced in June and face up to 10 years in prison. Now, Joint is something of a character. He was fired last March after racking up more than 50 disciplinary charges in his nine years as a police officer, including wrecking patrol cars, going AWOL, sexually harassing women, and beating a suspect with a club. He also faces state and federal lawsuits from his victims. As always, there are more corrupt cop stories this week. Check them out online at www.stopthedrugwar.org. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I want to thank Cliff Thornton once again for being our guest. Again, his website, efficacy-online.org. Uh, you know, there were too many burning bodies on the outskirts of town, too many murders happening in broad daylight in the town square. And despite the fact that he uh, operated with a dozen highly armed uh, escorts, the police chief of Nuevo Laredo has resigned. It seems his uh, predecessor had been shot about six hours after pinning on the badge and enough got to be enough uh, 
you are the answer. As as uh, Mr. Thornton was talking about, you have to stand up. You have to analyze this evidence. You have to make the determination yourself, and then you have to do something about it. If you'd like to learn more uh, about what you can do, I urge you to visit our website, End Prohibition. Dot org. There you can link up with about 15 of the best drug reform organizations on the planet. You know, I, I, I work hard to, to bring you the truth. I offer cash money to anybody, anybody on planet Earth willing to defend this policy of drug war. And, of course, it just doesn't happen. We don't get a nibble on the offer. There is no one who is willing to defend this policy over the airwaves. So it's really up to you to untie these politicians' hands, as they tell me. They tell me their hands are tied by these drug laws. You've got to tell them it's okay that uh, you, you will trust them to protect your children by ending prohibition. And as always, I remind you, because of drug prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag, and I urge you to please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Jack dancing on the edge of the